You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to the Lessons from the Great Coaches podcast. I've learned that you don't do it alone. You learn so many different things from so many different coaches. That's an elite learning environment. Failure is not a problem. How you deal with it is a problem. How to be resilient. How important it is to infuse joy in the process of learning. To be a good coach, you've got to give more than you take. What an interesting life it is to be a leader. Hello and welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we believe that there is no algorithm for leadership, and so we interview great sports coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our families, our colleagues, and our teams better. As the podcast has grown, the great coaches we've interviewed have shared so much insight and wisdom that we decided to create episodes dedicated entirely to the ideas that have resonated with us the most. Today's episode focuses on the topic of legacy, and we are joined for the conversation by James Kerr, the author of the book Legacy, What the All Blacks Can Teach Us About the Business of Life. James's book is one of the most referenced by our interview guests. It has over 4,000 five-star reviews on the Amazon UK site alone. He is a consultant to some of the world's top sporting and business organisations, And in this interview, he takes us inside his work with these groups and how they go about unlocking high performance. Some of his ideas that deeply resonated with me were his belief that people will rise to a challenge if it's their challenge, and the quite amazing story he shares to illustrate this about Leicester winning the FA Cup in the English Premier League. His view that the story you tell yourself becomes the story that others end up telling about you and how you can use this to set up a team culture, and how the culture at the New Zealand rugby team, known as the All Blacks, is about stabbing people in the belly, not the back. This is the type of fireside chat that stays with you for a long, long time afterwards. 
And just before we go to the interview, if you enjoy listening to the podcast and would like to learn more, you can head over to our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. There you will find more video and podcast content taken from the 150 plus interviews we have done with some of the world's great coaches. You will also find our insight database where we have snipped out insights from the videos of our interviews on leadership topics like culture, communication and conflict. You can search through it by keyword, sport or coach, download and then share the videos. We'll be adding to it regularly as we interview more great coaches from around the world. We also have a newsletter that features information on our latest podcasts, leadership insights from our guests, recommendations they have on books, articles or other media, as well as information on how you can engage with other people who listen to the podcast in our live events. All the details on how to sign up for that are also on our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. And now, please enjoy our interview with James Kerr. You're listening to the Lessons from the Great Coaches Podcast. James Kerr, good evening and welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. Paul, brilliant to be here. Thank you very much for having me. It's a real honor. James, something easy to get is going. Where are you in the world and what have you been doing so far today? Uh, well, uh, I'm in London. I, I live in London. I'm a boy from New Zealand, Aotearoa, but I've lived in London for uh, nearly three decades now. So uh, I'm here. The, the, the weather is grey. Uh, and this morning, uh, so it's morning time here. Uh, I've been trying to get uh, broadband sorted so we can do this interview. So not a very glamorous start to the day, but but a successful one. James, I understand that you started actually working in advertising. And I'm curious to kick us off. Where did your fascination with team dynamics and organizations come from? Oh, well, that, that's an interesting question to start. Um, yeah, so I was in advertising in Sydney, Australia, actually, and uh, I, I was a copywriter. And I think, uh, and I'll, I'll come to the answer to the question, but, you know, I think what advertising teaches you is to kind of get to the essence, the essence of an idea. It's really about storytelling and and they're sort of the essential qualities, the sort of the values, the, the principles, right at the heart of whatever it is, a product, a brand, you know, a person, whatever. And coincidentally at the same time a friend of mine uh had been was a advertising photographer but he'd 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 kind of cut his teeth in rugby league working for you know various publications on rugby league and he had some contacts within the Australian rugby league team the kangaroos and over a couple of beers we hatched a kind of cunning scheme which was kind of to talk our way into the into the guts of uh, of the kangaroos the Australian rugby league team to do it to do a book uh called 28 heroes it, it ended up being called and the idea was that kind of they gave us the access corporate sponsorship paid for the production uh and the uh, we took a bit of a fee out of it not a lot but the the back end the the, the profits went to the the team's nominated charity so it was sort of a win-win for everything but it gave us the access so i ended up this kind of cappuccino drinking copywriter from from christchurch new zealand who had never really engaged with rugby league. I had to go to the Leeds Public Library to look out the rules on the bus and in the locker rooms with kangaroos, with one of the great sporting dynasties, you know, certainly at its pomp. And these are the days of, you know, Mel Meninga, uh, Ricky Stewart, who I know was a guest uh, last week, I think, or, you know, recently, Bobby Lindner, Cement Gillespie, 
Greg Alexander, Brad Fittler's first tour, and it, it was it was the 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 coach uh, was the great Bobby Fulton, and and I loved it. I loved the dynamics, and I learned a lot, and I learned a lot about leadership. And Bobby Fulton, Bozo, you know, who they say sort of played just outside Jesus, didn't they? I think was that was the thing. It was a god of a man. He really really was an extraordinary man. He recently passed away, and and but there was a moment. Uh, there was this one moment so I, I joined slightly late I, I joined about a week after the the team had had arrived and they just played at Wembley and they'd lost so it wasn't a great time to turn up for for you know it, to kind of be an outsider coming inside a team is not the ideal time it's difficult enough at any time but it was not the ideal time so I met them on the coach on the bus and they were coming in they weren't very happy and I was, of course, in the worst seat on the bus, the newest member of the group, the worst seat on the bus, right up at the front, right by the aisle. Uh, and the players would come in after me, or, you know, in front of me, and the, most of them would just ignore me. But there's a guy called Steve Roach, Blocker Roach, uh, many will remember, hard prop, hard Aussie boy. I think he might have softened up a little bit, but he was a, he was a tough nut in those days. And he stopped in front of me and he looked me up and down. I'm not going to repeat the language, but it wasn't very good. It was like, who the is this? And of course, I just went, you know, I was in my mid-20s. I'm not very experienced in the way of the world, trying to make a good impression. I just died inside. Anyway, he went on and everyone sort of took their seats and the bus went off, headed off up to Manchester where we were staying. And I was sitting there, well, this hasn't started very well, has it? And I'm sitting there stewing inside. And after about five, 10 minutes, I felt a tap on my shoulder and I looked up and it was Bobby Fulton. And he uh, I sort of said, you know, jump up, son, something like that. So I got to my feet and sort of turned to face him. And he had a team tie, like the, the, the test tie. And he just handed it to me and shook my hand and nodded. But everyone could see I'm right at the front of the bus. Everyone could see. And there were no words spoken. But from that moment on, I was in. I was on the inside of that group. And it was one of the most emotionally intelligent pieces of leadership that I, I've, I'd seen to that point. And in a way, I've, since I've seen since. And I think, I mean, you know, hindsight's wonderful, but I think that was one of the moments that I just went, you know, this is fascinating. The, the, the way that communication happens in dynamics and belonging and identity and acceptance and you know and all of those things are kind of managed within that kind of tight dynamic and that tight environment and I was I was fascinated uh, by it and I would you know was a sucker for it uh, from then on and then you know my career kind of evolved partly around advertising but more into the idea of identity and and uh, I worked as a consultant uh, you know with brands with organizations some of them became sporting organizations uefa and various various organizations and really my joke is my audiences got smaller you know my audiences went from nations you know with advertising into 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 organizations into teams and and so really it was a convergence of that kind of looking for the essence and looking for the story a kind of a thing about leadership and sport and teams and and really, my, that that was my fascination, and and it's really gone from there. Well, let's pick up this idea of fascination with teams and organisations and helping them move forward. Because in your book, you give this great quote from 
the New Zealand coach, Wayne Smith, and he says people will rise to a challenge if it's their challenge. You talk about it yep. in the context of helping people. But I was interested, James, can you share with us an example of where you've helped a group define their challenge? I think possibly the best illustration of some of the, the work and the way that I work, and it's a combination of creating that kind of sense of belief and belonging and, and people rise to a challenge, that empowerment thing, and also the storytelling aspect. Might be a project I did uh, with uh, Leicester City Football Club. And for those of you in the, uh, Leicester, at the moment, languishing in the relegation zone in the Premier League, I'm, I'm not working with them anymore, but I'm hoping they'll be able to get their head above the parapet and take it further. But a few years ago, four or five years ago, I worked with Brendan Rogers, the then manager, and he had taken over the team at a really, really interesting time. A few years before that, those who know their, their premiership football, Leicester did the impossible. They won the Premier League. They thought of themselves as sort of the best pub team in the world. And and they went out through a combination of really a lot of team cohesion, very simple game plan, a whole lot of big clubs melting down. They kind of one nil their way to the, to the world. And it was an extraordinary achievement from a club that had gone about 100 odd years without winning anything. A perpetual runners-up in the FA Cup that hadn't won anything. And that, that was made possible by governance and by the owner, Vichai. Gun Vichai, Thai businessman who had come in, selected the club, and then he had invested not just money, but really soul, I think, into the environment. And he had got really good people on board and created a very, very strong people culture, selected on character, fantastic. And they'd done the business. And then they had a had a sort of a stop-start season the next season. And then then there was a tragedy, a terrible tragedy, in that Vichai, after a West Ham game, took off in his helicopter from King Power Stadium. There was a problem with the rotor, and it spun and crashed in the car park and burst into flames, and Vichai and his fellow passengers were killed. So it, here was a team, a group, a club, uh, a community that had gone... To the heights of hypes and literally came had come crashing down to earth. The new manager came in three or four months later, Brendan, and I asked me to come in and do some work with the group to to kind of reboot, I guess. You know, who are we? What do we stand for? What are we doing? Why does it matter? What are those questions? You know, the big the big kind of soft questions that are really hard, if that makes sense. And we met in Evian, which is uh, on the shores of Lake Geneva, where they have their pre-season, and began a conversation. And it was really about the players. You know, a lot of a lot of times in in sport, and particularly in U.S. sport, the players are hired hands. You know, they're not seen to be the the club or the franchise or the whatever. You know, but. But it seems to me that the most important people in the room and the expertise in the room are the people who go out on the paddock, who go out on the pitch. And that's not always strangely the case, more in smaller and more in Antipodean sports, perhaps. But but often, strangely enough, it's a disempowered situation. The general manager has the or the, the gaffer is in charge and everyone else is just kind of, you know, the strings to be pulled. But but really, Brendan's a very forward-thinking and very, very talented man-manager. And 
we created a conversation around, you know, who are we? What do we stand for? What does it mean? What took the club to the heights? What did Vichai's death mean? What do we stand for? What's our purpose here? What's the what's the why? And we created from that a number of, of values, uh, one of which was courage, you know, courage to overcome that kind of adversity, um, but also courage to be bold, to play big. And, and you know, I think there's two things. There's the output and the outcome. You know, the output is sort of a set of values or a narrative or an ethos and words on a piece of paper, whatever, whatever it is, some symbols, some rituals. But the outcome really is around connection and is really about belonging and belief and getting your fingerprints on it and empowerment. Um, there's a great line in, in a military unit I worked with, which, which just says that empowerment is people executing the plan they've had a part in planning. You know, people rise to a challenge if it's their challenge. If you tell people what to think, it'll go in one ear and out the other, or they won't internalize it. If you ask them what they think, they need to search inside themselves. They need to ask some difficult questions. They need to know themselves. They need to know what they think. They need to articulate it first to themselves and then out loud. And once somebody's been through that process, that kind of questioning process, then they will own it. They will feel a sense that it's them. And then when we own something, we defend it. We play for it. We pr want to prove ourselves right, you know? And that's a very fundamental kind of sense of, I think it's a fundamental sense of empowerment and action. You know, Wayne Smith, who you mentioned before, a, you know, a, a God-tier coach, an exceptional human. He, he told me once that, you know, he tried to go through, he tries to go through his week not telling anyone anything. He tries to just ask questions. Um, there's a guy, Dave Hadfield, a, a coach from New Zealand who... The fantastic guy who uh, really call he calls this query theory, and it's really about awareness. It's about make you know embedding awareness deep inside ourselves, and it both works on a technical level. You know, are you aware of what your back foot is doing in a cricket shot or whatever, cricket stroke? But also awareness of your place in a team, your significance in a group, the you're part of something bigger than yourself. You know, psychologically, we you know we want to have a have a meaningful role in something meaningful, you know, and that's a very powerful sense of sort of embedded belonging in that. And if we co-create that, if we create that ourselves, if we get our fingerprints on it, we put our name on it, then then that's a very, very powerful lock. You know, that creates cohesion, connection, contribution, ownership, accountability, all of the stuff you want in a great group. They're all the kind of qualities of a great group. And so this, so the process with, with Leicester was about that. And then it was what I call pass the ball. It's over to you guys. You know, I, I'm the catalyst for that kind of conversation. Um, and the group, um, you know, the leadership within in that group, they had various symbols made, a kind of a plaque. We had a creed uh, that people literally signed up. So there was a ritual. You know, it's kind of, this is what we believe. This is going to be my part in it. And it was very powerful. And, you know, it's by no means the only reason that the, the next few seasons unfolded as they did. There were a lot of reasons. There were always a lot of reasons, combinations, you know, there is never one thing. But but I, I'd, I'd like to think that this sort of kicked off the kind of the process, if you like, of belief and belonging and connection and cohesion 
And it's kind of the glue and the oil. You know, it sits at the heart of it. People know what they're part of. And that conversation begins. And, you know, I, I think very much first, one of the lines I use is, you know, first we shape our story and then our story shapes us. And if you think about cognitive behavioral therapy of, you know, the, the idea of reframing, you know, if we, or, or generative metaphors, you know, if, if we think life is a battle, you know, we're more likely to have rage incidents in our life. If we think life is a dance, well, maybe we'll kind of respond slightly differently. And and these metaphors shape cultures, you know, in many ways. These these ideas shape our response patterns, our behaviors over time. So by embedding the right ethos, you know, the right uh, narrative, if you like, or story or set of beliefs, belief system, early days, it tends to impact uh, the way be, the, the 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 emotional psychological environment that people exist within, and align everybody in the same area, create norms and and standards that people understand and 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 feel a sense of ownership, create that belief and belonging, kind of set the team in the right direction. And I think one of the extraordinary things is that another line I use is is that uh, you know the story you tell yourself becomes a story that others end up telling about you. You know, character is destiny in a way. You know, what we, the character that we set for ourselves often tends up to be, well, our intent is out there in the world and then people start to notice. And I think one of the fascinating things, one of, one of the couple of ideas uh, that we talked about in the Lester thing was one that Vichai is watching over us. You know, that that we represent him. The group represents him and we want to do right by him and continue his work. And one of his sayings was, you know, nothing is impossible. And so what was fascinating, two years later, Leicester ended up in the FA Cup final at Wembley, the first FA Cup after COVID. So everyone was coming together. It was a great congregation. And, you know, the FA Cup's always been my favourite, favourite event. And I, I had the privilege of, uh, doing the sort of training ground team talk before uh, before Wembley and to kind of remind the group of the work that we're done and what it means and my memories of the FA Cup and aging myself, Kevin Keegan back in 1974 and, and all of this and what it meant. And the team went out and they did the business and they won uh, against Chelsea. It was extraordinary, extraordinary uh, moment in Leicester's history and my history but what was really fascinating from to answer your question is the is the because it was covid there was uh big banners the opportunity to put big banners up on the on the on the upper seats so it was a limited seating so there was a big banner of Vichai, the late owner watching over them the players and i didn't know this beforehand but uh had had uh, arranged to have his portrait sewn into their their shirts, their their jerseys. So they played with them by their heart. When they won, uh, a number of things happened. When when it came time to lift the the cup, one of the great moments in sport, the hoisting of the FA Cup, the on-field captain Casper Schmeichel called over Wes Morgan, the who who was who was the the squad captain and had been the captain through the through the premiership thing, and they hoisted it together. Unity one of the values. 
Jamie Vardy, they, they, they came to form a, a huddle and Jamie Vardy, their talismanic striker, was having a media interview at the time. So they held the circle open for him until he came in and he came in and left in the middle and then they closed as a group, that unity again. Casper went off to get top, uh, couldn't top, uh, uh, Vichai's son and brought him down from the crowd, the chairman, and brought him down from the crowd. Uh, and so he hoisted the cup. So all of these behaviours were about connection. There are a lot of the stuff that we talked about, all the stuff that we talked about. Now, whether it's a direct lineage, it's there anyway. You know, the work I do a lot of it is excavating what's there and making it explicit. And and then the the comment the commentary, you know, the 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 pundits are saying you'll never see a more connected club. It's so courageous what they've come out about. They all take responsibility for the task. You know, Vichai would be proud, right? The same story. It's the story we told two years before that in in and crafted in Ebia. Now, to me, that's an example of you know the story you tell yourself becomes the story that others end up telling about you. Fantastic answer, James. Thank you. It's a great story. I hadn't heard it before, so I appreciate you sharing it. But I want to come back to the All Blacks for a minute. I know your story starts way before that, but it's probably what thrust you onto the international stage. And when I was rereading the book in preparation for today, one of the traits that stood out to me a lot actually was this one around selflessness. You identified it in many of the All Blacks. And I think it stood out because we don't see a lot of it these days, you know, in a social media world. And I wanted to ask you what you've observed as you've traveled around the world and worked with different organizations, what you've observed about the ability for people to learn how to be selfless. I think you're completely right. I think I think there is a lot conspiring against it at the moment. Social media, the the selfie. Uh, the idea that everyone can be a, 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 have their own 50 minutes of fame, uh, that we're all a personal brand, and and so on and so forth. And uh, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that. I think, you know, we all have the right to a, a self-expression and all of that. But I think what it can create is is a an inability or a, a reluctance to identify uh, or sublimate ourselves to a group when it's appropriate. And I'm not saying we have to do it all the time and that we have to be cult-like in anything that we belong to, but it's a very powerful place to stand if you want to be successful in a team sport. And the the reality of, I think, the the tip of the spear, if you like, if, if, if I look at the best teams, they, they are all team-first environments. They just are. Because unless you put the team, I mean, you know, if you look at the difference, uh, if you look at a, a group like uh, Paris Saint-Germain at the moment, for instance, has a wonderful set of stars. But, and I'm not inside that group, but from what it appears, a huge amount of dysfunction because those stars are grappling with each other. There's a great, I think it's a Turkish proverb, you know, it's better to have 5,000 enemies outside the tent than one on the inside. Right. So cohesion and working towards the same end, being a meaningful part of something meaningful is is the power of a group. So if you look at, uh, say, a special force unit, that it is about selfless service. It is about being prepared to lay down your life for your mates. You know, it is. It, it And they do. You know, 
and and that's why the best of the elite soft units are the best of the elite soft units because they have that sense of service to something bigger than themselves and that's purposeful work sandhurst military academy when the officer cadets turn up it's called ironing board sunday they turn up with ironing boards because that's what they're going to do for the next three or four months is just prepare their kit but they all turn up with their ironing boards but that night on their bed so they don't really see uh, until they sort of get yomped around a whole bit but they go in and there's a there's a book sitting on their pillow and it's the bible for sandhurst and it's called serve to lead called serve to lead it's the 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 intrinsic ethos of leadership within the british army certainly but but i think and now i'm i'm not particularly big on guns and war but i but i do think that there's a lot to be learned from those environments because they're life and death and performance environments if you, if you get it wrong you get killed so what what principles emerge from those environments that show us what high performance really looks like you know a high performing team really looks like what what is the ideal dynamic because because they are exceptional dynamics the sas ethos is really interesting it's a relentless pursuit of excellence personal accountability rank but no class get hierarchy out of the way flat and fast environment humility and a sense of humor now that uh, aspect of it is something that comes up in the All Blacks, comes up in the SAS, comes up in the Navy SEALs, you know, the Trident and the Navy SEALs, their, their badge of belonging, the, 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 the American Eagle has its head bowed in humility. And, you know, because if you get ahead of yourself in uh, battlefield, footy field, any field, you get shot. So it, it, the the selflessness selflessness sounds like you're giving up on yourself. I think it's the opposite. I think that it, it, arrogance is weak. Humility is a strength. Humility is being strong enough in yourself to commit yourself to something that's not about yourself, and that's real strength. That's proper strength. You know, that's robust, and you know it resists adversity. It's 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 hugely resilient. Uh, as a place to stand, I think. And of course, it's from the ancients, you know, it's Achilles and the Achilles heel. You know, when you think you're, when you think you got it made, that's when you, you get done in. But when there's always something to prove, when you're humble before the task, when you're humble in, in, the, in the group, where you've got more to give, you've got more to learn, you're prepared to give yourself to it because it's not really about you, then that's a very, very powerful place to stand as a human being. You get a group doing that, giving themselves to something. That's a very, very powerful group. But if you've got a group saying, well, what's in it for me? Or, you know, I don't know, you know, I'm the star here. Why should I do that? Then that's weakness. You know, it creates factions and friction within a group. It creates what's called social loafing. Some people push hard and some people slack off. But, but it, if, if, if you don't have everyone in that group sort of, you know, pedal to the metal contributing, you're a weaker group. And and the reality in every every or most sports uh, or team sports, certainly our team sports, you know, it's sort of a truism, but but our team sports and, and if the team does well, so does everyone within the team. 
And, you know, the worst groups are saying, well, I'm bigger than the team. But then it's not a team anymore, is it? Uh, Wayne Smith, the great Wayne Smith, has a line where he says, you know, you've either got your hand up or your hand out in a group. Your hand up. You know, a, a, a businessman I know says, you know, we're volunteers who just happen to be paid. If you take that mindset that you're you're giving before you get, you get anyway. You know, you've got to give to get. We we create value and value comes our way. It's not the other way around. So that contributive mindset, the hands up, not hands out. Now, you, sometimes I've sort of said this before, you've got to have your hand out because we all need a hand and we want to give someone else a hand. But most of the time we want to have a hand up. We want to be giving, you know, volunteering, volunteers who just happen to be paid. So that mindset, it's not just a... a so. First, first I, to your question, how do you learn that? Well, I think there's two aspects. I think there's three aspects of it. Some people maybe never will. They're the one asterisk All Blacks or the one asterisk Premier League. But, you know, they're the, they're the ones who kind of play for a bit, a bit, but it didn't really work out, you know, often in a, in a great group. Might be highly talented, but, but there's, a, there's a character thing going on there. You know, and they can be highly destructive and disruptive within a group. You know, anyway, the the so so there's that. Then there's the you, you need to create an environment uh, in which that is the standards and expectations of that group. You know that 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 is the expectation because we we are shaped our behaviors are shaped very much by the environment by that by that ethos of an environment, and you either come in and accept it or it spits you out generally. So you want to create a very strong kind of uh, understanding of what what great looks like in this group. You know, any group set their norms. And then there's sort of aspects around kind of endorsing and enforcing from a leadership point of view. You know, rewarding the right behaviours and not accepting the wrong behaviours. Now, you know, businesses, a lot of you take kind of businesses aren't very often very good at rewarding the right behaviors. They reward on, they give bonuses to the, the, the talented dickheads, right? But, but do you really reward, do you really reward character? You know, how is character acknowledged? And one, one coach would give a man of the mat, his man of the match award to, players that so you know man of the match is often you know decided by the pundit the commentator the sort of second commentator you know the comments man in the last three minutes of a game and it's usually the glory the thorough the the show pony the the point score or the da 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 the one who, who who got their head up in the ruck and got noticed kind of thing but but most of the time the real difference in a group is not is made off the ball it's it's the, the the stuff that happens that most people don't see makes the biggest difference in a group usually the decoy the the one doing the hard yards the the dirty work and what, whatever whatever sport it is so he would he would just do his own band of the match where he'd in front of everyone he would just give the nod to character to the one who did it for the team so i think you want to align around that a bit you want to create the environment and you want to get the right people on board. You know, some people are untouchable and they can be very, very destructive. I think Rassi Erasmus, uh, I saw something on on YouTube for his selection policy. You don't want to get the best people because I think his, his language, not mine, you know, because sometimes the best people are asshole. You want to get the right people. 
And of course, that selection on character—you need talent, you need capability. You don't—you you need the best, but you also need to get that balance. That that it's the best. The 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 character is a force multiplier, really, to 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 talent. That and I think I think it was Michael Jordan said something like it might have been John Wooden. I'm not sure. They probably both said it something like, you know, talent will win you games, but character will win you tournaments. It's the long game. And and how you get those right people on board. So, a, a long answer to a short question again. But I think you know, select, get the right people on board, create the right environment, the the, the standards, the ethos, and then and then uh, reward and award appropriately to so that you create a moving towards state for the right kind of behaviours, if you like. You know, I think I think one of the most important conversations is kind of defeating assumptions, because you know, if if you've got say a football team. Premiership football team, you know, chances are there's five or six, seven, eight different cultures converging at any one time, particularly if there's been a lot of transfers. People coming in, there's there's South American, Latin American, you know, there's somebody from Germany, a few, few people from Germany, there's some French people, there's somebody from Ghana or the Ivory Coast, you know, uh, and they've also come from very different teams, and sometimes different class, different family structures. So let's take the issue of time. The issue of time in Germany and and Latin America can be two entirely different concepts. So turning up on time, if it doesn't matter in one culture and it does matter in the, in the other, which one is right? Well, neither actually, unless you've got an agreement. But often we we you know function on assumption. My way is the right way. But unless you've had that conversation, unless you've set your standards and expectations, you've, unless you've, so I think one of the most important conversation coaches can have is is th- those early pre-season things. What do we want to achieve, and who do we have to be in order to achieve that? What do we want to do together, and what can we hold each other to account for? And what are the rules of engagement? Does that mean if you're not 15 minutes early, you're late, or does it mean 30 seconds before training is just fine with me. I don't know. I, you know, I would go for the 15 minutes early, but that's just me. Unless you've got an agreement as a group, no one has really has the right to 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 enforce it or or get pissed off with the other person for not for not doing it their way. And so being really clear with those standards and expectations in that middle and I think that's that middle section about creating the environment, creating the kind of the 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 rules of engagement and then then they can be enforced laterally peer group enforcement occurs and that's cohesion that's a powerful group i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. James, I want to pick up on a couple of things there. You talked about strong cultures being almost cult-like. You talked about people putting their hands up. You talked about peer groups holding each other accountable just then as well. And and I want to look at it from a slightly different angle because in these very strong cultures that you've encountered, how have you found these groups manage the the challenge of giving themselves space to disagree with each other and challenge yeah. each other in a way that makes yeah. sure that things continue to evolve? Otherwise, it could just become stuck, I imagine, without that yeah. positive tension. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I think that's a great question. And I think you know, I think it's really. I've been doing some work on uh, on a Everest climb for a book, and uh, Shiva, uh, the great Hindu god, maybe the greatest of the Hindu gods, is the god of destruction and creation. Right, his role is to destroy in order to create. And I think any group to avoid that stagnation needs to needs to be able to destroy in order to create, if you like. It can never be static. It needs to reinvent itself. The line I use in Legacy is, you know, when you're on top of your game, change your game. You know, when things get too kind of comfortable, it's time to bust it up a little bit. And and that's really how you lead, by being first to do the next new thing, in a way. So, you know, in Legacy, I use, you know, the All Blacks as a case study, really, of, of what it looks like. And, and you know, they they would go to the kind of end of year get together of the coaches in Dublin and kind of tell people how they did it, how they were winning. Because partly I think it's good good for the game, and partly it's about helping them, forcing them to reinvent. So on one level, that process of reinvention is huge. The the how you do it and what we're really talking about is kind of safe conflict, I guess. Um, how do you create the conditions for safe conflict? Um, and that's completely vital. Partly, I think it's about some of the stuff we talked about before, about giving voice, about about having the conversations. It's not just somebody says from the top, this is how we're doing it. So it's maintaining that ongoing conversation and keeping a kind of questioning culture, uh, I think, is a large part of it. Because if you keep asking those conversations, they become more comfortable. You don't get those pinch conflict points quite as much. Partly it's about having an expectation that this will be an environment of challenge and 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 actually good people rise to the challenge. So challenging each other becomes a norm, if you like. And, and it's also about psychological safety. Now, you know, there's a lot of research being done around the, the, the single most important thing in a group, according to, to Google, who did a massive, program around around this called project aristotle uh is psychological safety but a lot of people i think misconstrue psychological safety and they think that it's being soft and fluffy easy on each other it's the opposite i think you know in great groups the stuff that needs to get said gets said and it gets said quickly and it gets said to the people who need to hear it so how do you do that how do you create that environment i think language plays a big part of it uh in in great groups and and from what i've you know the all blacks say stab me in the belly not the back i I love that i think it's from oscar wilde who who would have thought a bunch of rugby players quoting oscar wilde but there you go but stab me in the belly stab me in the brisket tell me what i need to know give it to me in the belly go on 
tell me. Now, having language around it um, sets the expectations, but it makes it okay to say something. It makes it professional, not political. So as long as the understanding, the collective understanding is that it's the commitment is to get better every day, to be the best that we can be as a group and as individuals, and that we are contributing to each other, we're not slagging each other off. As long as it's within, it's, everything is framed with that, you can say what you want. If you say to your partner, you've got spinach in your teeth, and they think they're trying to bring you down, then it's not a good result. But if, but if you're about to walk into a party and you say you've got spinach in your teeth, that's a contribution, right? So timing is everything and, and, contra and, and context is everything. But I think it's really interesting when you start to look at some of the groups I've seen do this really well, language plays a part. So a couple of examples, partly from research, partly from, from, from experience, the, the red arrows, the, the display team for the, for the Air Force over here in the UK, when they debrief, they debrief brutally, you know, like they're flying within inches of each other at quick speeds. And if something goes wrong, it goes really wrong. Now, they've had some real cultural issues lately within their group. But separate from that, they they maintain their flight numbers when they debrief. So it's like red one, red two, red three, or whatever, whatever the flight numbers are, to keep it professional, not personal. So they can say what needs to get said. Toto Wolf um, in Mercedes Petronas in that Formula One group, they, there was a phrase, I'm, I think I'm getting it right, something like, the process is the problem, the people aren't the problem. Or the people aren't the problem, the process, it's the process that's the problem. If something goes wrong, it's really easy to blame, blame an individual. But if you're a joined up team, what's falling apart in the process that the, the, the fracture happened to happen at the point of that individual, right? It assumes that every individual is doing the best that they can be and is highly capable. And it provides a context of respect for people's contribution. And it doesn't get into finger pointing in quite the same way as it would if you go okay listen it failed at x point with such and such but why why did that happen well you know it was probably an upstream mistake or miscalculation that led to the pressure that leads to that mistake uh, where it matters often so creating some language around it makes a big difference and then you can say right then i think i think the other aspect is sort of around personal sense of belonging if if you think that say a rugby team if you think that so so if if you pick a rugby team on form only and it's always on form are they playing well well that's a really insecure place to to, to play from because you know that if you have one bad game or you drop the ball maybe you don't get picked next saturday maybe you're out one of the greatest fears for human beings is social ostracism is being dropped is being fired is losing our part of something that we want to be part of. That's a massive, massive fear. If 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 you're always being judged just on one thing, right, then then you will avoid conflict. You will avoid risk. You know, you will try to minimize that personal risk. But if you feel safe and secure in your place, all blacks again, I'm using them as a lot as an example, but you know, there's there's a joke, there was a joke at one point at least that it was more difficult to get dropped than to get in. Once you're in, you're kind of in. You're part of that group. You are in that group. It's your place to lose, right? But but not if you have one bad game. 
your project. So if you look at, say, the example of Dan Carter, who in in four years played very, very few tests for the All Blacks between 2011 and 2015, clearly one of the greatest players of all time anyway. But he got injured before 2011. He was in and out of the team. They held on to him. They did it. There were a lot of the press were going, oh, he's had his day, he's shot, you know. Come on, it's time to move on. We've got other players to move on. And they held and they they trusted him and they trusted him and they trusted him. Of course, he was the man of the match in the 2015 World Cup final, his last game. You know, and a game changer. You know, always a game changer. An exceptional, clearly one of the exceptional players. Maintain the faith. It wasn't It was on class, not form. And, and I think often what happens, and particularly happens a lot in the UK, because the press is so powerful here, that 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 the press will champion players and they will turn against players and and then that'll get to the board or to the sponsors. The sponsors will have a quiet word afterwards to the to the coach or to some or the selection panel and oh we'd better chop and change. We'd better chop and change. So the level of insecurity that that creates for your player base. There's there's, there's a psychologist. Uh, well, a couple of psychologists have said something quite John Bowlby. He said. What people need is a secure base from which to boldly venture. A secure base from which to boldly venture. If, if as leaders, we can create a secure base for people to take chances, uh, both off the field in, hey, Gaffer, that I don't think that formation is working for us, those kind of conversations. It, but it also reflects on the field. Because you're more likely to tap and go. You're more likely to 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 take a chance. You're more likely to to boldly venture if you feel that you're not going to get crushed if it all goes wrong. So reading that room and creating that space, you know, in psychology, they talk about being a container for your clients, you know, creating that space. And there's a there's a wonderful word in the out of the Pacific Islands called VA, uh, V-A. In Samoa, the sacred objects are called fine mats. And far means the space between, you know, the interconnectedness between a group. And the the uh, the, the the sacred mat or the, the, the fine mats demarcate that space. They, they thread it together. One of the fra- one of the words for leader in Maori is is uh, rangatera, which means weaver, the weaver together of people. And Creating that space, being a container for that space that people are part of, that people belong to, I think create some of those preconditions for uninhibited performance on and off the field and that ability to speak truth to power, to say what needs to be said, to put your hand up and say, I screwed up, right? You know, how do you create that psychological safety, not so that everyone feels warm and fluffy, but that people feel able to be raw and vulnerable? And and that's a that's a that's a, a that's a skill that's a, a talent I think um, a leadership talent and a very very important one and a particularly important one now because the world has changed different generations coming up different expectations around around voice and around um, inclusion and all of all of these things to create to be a container for everybody to be able to be vulnerable because in vulnerability there's huge strength. That, that's my 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 kind of. Uh, I feel like I'm, it's the Sermon on the Mount, but uh, uh, I, I hopefully that kind of at, at least indicates some areas to think about. James, if I could just finish by asking you, 
one final question. And before I ask it, I'd like to play back a quote I've heard you use on multiple occasions, actually. And it's from Pericles when he said, Our achievements aren't written on stone monuments. They are woven into the lives of others. And it made me think you've had so much acclaim from your book and the work you do with organisations. But what is it that you hope is the legacy that you're leaving with people through your work? I'm, I'm kind of persuaded, I think, by a, a kind of humanistic psychology, the idea that, that what drives human beings is that desire to self-actualize, to individuate, to, to, in Nietzsche's term, to become what we're capable of becoming. And that, and that if leaders can create the environment, the space, in which they are a servant of their team, I guess, a resource to their team, in order to enable professional and performative and personal growth to take place, everyone wins. A, the teams win. You know, that is a winning combination for teams. If, if, ever, if people grow from within... It's the capability and the capacity and the and the competitiveness of that group will grow, just does. But also creates a, 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 a it's a legacy of leadership for those leaders. You know, there is nothing more satisfying, I think, for leaders than to create than to watch their progeny go off and 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 prosper. You know, I guarantee that Bobby Fulton was hugely proud of Ricky Stewart. You know, uh, because you know Ricky was a young, you know, a young back you know in 1990 you know for the kangaroos when i was there and then he went on to to do what he's done in league and and has become not just a great coach but a great man and and i think that i think there's something that is beyond sport and beyond business which is almost anthropological which is our contribution to those uh, others in our life you know, do we make a contribution to others in our life? Can we touch, contribute to other lives? You know, it's not written on stone monuments. It's woven to the lives of others, those others that we met, that we meet along the way. If we can have a positive impact on, you know, those we come across. You know, I I, I had a I had a health issue a couple of years ago, and it was a little bit dicey. And I had to, it was during COVID, it wasn't COVID, but it was during COVID. And and I had a long wait before going in for an operation, like nearly two weeks. I, I was sitting there thinking, is this it? I went into, you know, life flashes before, in slow motion, life flashes before your eyes. And you and you go, well, what, what's it all been about? And, you know, really, without sounding like a kind of a cheesy hallmark card, you know, it's kind of doing the, my kind of, formulation of it is, is doing the stuff you love with the people you love is kind of what it's about that's what i remembered at least and you go well what are those shared moments those shared experiences with people you feel deeply connected with and so i guess in, in answer with again without seem, seeming too corny and hallmarky that you know i'd like to touch people's lives make a contribution share something with them uh, whether that's work with groups and with teams, you know, I love that, uh, those those peak moments, but some of those conversations. And I think in the writing side of things, I think uh, helping people become what they're capable of becoming a little bit 
you know beginning beginning a conversation with themselves that they are able to the, the book i'm writing at the moment uh, some of the stories i've told you about about lester and some of those um, i'm i'm hoping to to weave into it but but it's that kind of what i would call kind of leading from within you know finding what we really stand for you know what what our ethos is you know our ethos of 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 our values of our vision of our purpose and for each of us it's going to be very very different and and i guess helping people unlock that uh in themselves and going forward and living nietzsche's term again becoming what they're capable of becoming if if, if i could leave that out there then back to that uh selflessness it's not selfless i the payoff for me for that is huge you know i get huge deep satisfaction from putting that kind of work out there so i would hope i'm able to uh to make that kind of contribution to the groups i work with and and to the people who read and audiences i speak to James, does that sound too sincere James, that is a great answer. I guess you get asked that legacy question a lot, but I have never heard you answer it so articulately and or eloquently. And I can only thank you for spending an hour with us tonight and taking us through your amazing story so far. I know the new book is coming out later in the year, and I think with luck, we'd love to get you back on to talk a little bit more about. Well, listen, this. listen, I'd love to. I'll just finish it first. Uh, I'd, I'd better get the get the get the typing done, but. Uh, it's it's well on the way. It, it, it's called ethos, and it's um, uh, it's really going more deeply into into character and a little bit more into some of the how uh, that we might work with with teams and with ourselves to kind of lead groups for high performance. So, but I'd love to do that. It's been a real pleasure talking uh, today. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks, James. Hi everyone. You've been listening to our discussion with James Kerr. I hope you found a few ideas that you can bring to your own dinner table, locker room or boardroom table for discussion. Wow, what an experience that was having time with James. Some of the key things that I took away from the discussion were his views that the best teams are all team first environments. The power of selflessness and humility when it comes to creating a high performing team. And how the wonderful quote from Pericles when he said, our achievements aren't written on stone monuments, they are woven into the lives of others, shapes his view on legacy. I hope you enjoyed this as much as we did. And just before we go, if you have any feedback, then please let us know. Just like Ricky Dumigan, who, after listening to our interview with Ricky Stewart, said, thoroughly enjoyed this episode. Well, thanks, Ricky. We really appreciate that. We love the interaction with the people around the world who listen. And so if you have any feedback or comments, then please let us know. And if they're positive ones, then let your friends know too. All the details on how you can connect with us are in our show notes or on our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.